Hello everybody and welcome to the Smorgasbord, the official podcast for Secret.org, the best online and unusual source for comic books, news, reviews and previews. Buy their books, read their articles. And remember, Secret is on Patreon. Support smart criticism in comics. We do the heavy thinking so you don't have to. And by the way, I am Tom Shapira and with me as always... Hello, I'm Sean Edry. You have to get out of here. Your vagina is haunted. Really? You knew I was going to come up with that eventually. Like I hoped you wouldn't. That's a classic. Yeah, it's a classic? Where is she going to go to <laughs> your, if her nethers are haunted? That's what I want to know. Your definition of the word classic <laughs> needs re-evaluating. Comics, what a, what a, what a, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah. Horrible comics, ladies and gentlemen. So I guess everyone's still tired over Scandal Week because yeah. it's been pretty quiet lately. Nobody has caused a mess so far. Unless you're a fan of science fiction and not only of comics. And we don't we'll, have to talk yeah, about that. Thankfully, we don't have to talk about the <coughs> For Google's. once, there's corruption somewhere else and we don't have to worry about it. So, uh, okay. shall we start with actual comics? Comics yes. news? IDW and DC Comics have announced, out of all things, a Green Lantern. Star Trek, the original series crossover. So Kirk will be banging green babes in different contexts this time. Uh, I mean, they went with the original series. That's a deliberate choice. Yeah. Captain uh, Kirk and the green alien babes. Well, but, right now you don't have the the latest movie reboot was based on the original. Oh, is this the reboot? No, 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 no but, I'm say, but I'm saying Kirk and Spock are the big names right now. You don't... The latest generation didn't grow up on any TV show. You don't have the Deep right. Space Nine kids. You don't have the Next Generation kids. Right now, people know the names Kirk and Spock. These are the biggest names. I assume it's going to be based on Isn't the classic, classic model. That no. is weird how that turned out. I mean, it's not the craziest crossover IDW has ever put together. We no. have, after all, reviewed Angry Birds Transformers. But, um okay, uh, how did the rights work in that case? I'm assuming they're co-producing this with DC then. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wait, no, 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 I'm wrong, I'm looking. It is the new movie version of oh, the Oh, it's character. a reboot? Yeah. Good luck with that. Uh, well, the, uh, the writer is going to be Mike Johnson, who's currently writing uh, Star Trek for IDW, and okay. the art is Angel Hernandez. Who's well, solid. Yeah, yeah. You know, they could have picked worse. I'm not the biggest fan of these things. I, I always think that IDW's franchise's best work on their own. I've said it before, you know, they're... Transformers line is great on its own. Their G.I. Joe line is pretty good. Their Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles line is surprisingly solid. Mm-hmm. And I mean surprisingly. Um, well, I guess if you were looking for sort of an in-universe justification, Star Trek would be the most yeah. convenient. Because you would always say, you know, they're on their exploration travel and they have to stumble onto Oa. Because I'm assuming this isn't Green Lantern as in Hal Jordan... And all of that. Well, like, yeah, all of DC, them together. <laughs> that would be awkward. That would be like, what did you say your name was? Who? What is this? Planet Earth? Oh, Never heard of it. That's not even a thing. The uh, Doug Wright Award nominees were in Oh, this. right. The Canadian Cartooning uh, Awards. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Best Book Awards will go to one of the following. Uh, and Colony by Michael DeForge. Fatherland by uh, Nina Bunjavec. Uh, Safari Honeymoon by Jess Jacobs. The People Inside by Ray Fox, and This One Summer by uh, Jillian Tamaki and Mariko Tamaki. I'm um, only familiar with This One Summer, but it'll probably win, because uh, yeah. everyone has been talking about yeah, it and it No, Ant Colony also has a good shot, because Michael DeForge is one of the recent line of alternative cartoonists who get all the fame and credit, and I've read it. It's not my thing. I can see why people like it. 
It's not mm-hmm. my thing. Ray Fox, we both know, and <laughs> we've had the misfortune. <laughs> we, we didn't, we didn't enjoy his comics, you know, his no. serialized comics. But okay, let's be yeah. fair and assume that if this is a graphic novel, it's possible that he didn't have the same problem trouble. That yeah, the thing is, the two comics of his that we reviewed here, we the fought, one and a half. Yeah, we fought to review Intersect, and we did it at the end, and we did what was it? Gotham by Midnight. Yeah, Gotham by Midnight. We didn't like them for the exact opposite reasons because one yeah. of them was completely boringly average, and the other was so avant-garde that you had no idea what's going on. And again, that's the Grant Morrison fan telling you, I had no idea what's yeah. going on, and I didn't like it. There's also the Nipper Awards, mm-hmm. which is for uh, recognizing cartoonists deserving of a wider recognition. Okay. And the nominees are Aaron Costain for Entropy Number 10, Elizabeth uh, Bellevue for One Year in America, Julie Depot for Everywhere Antennas, and Meg Fitzgerald for... Photo Booth, a biography, Sophie Yanou for The War of Streets and Houses, and Simon Roy for Tiger Long. And see, I have read none of them except for Simon Roy, but I'm for Simon Roy because, damn, he's good. So what you're saying is that they're all deserving of wider recognition because we don't know who they are. <laughs> well, <laughs> Fair enough. Well, we don't know if they're deserving. We haven't read it. You know, deserving means... Oh, they should all have the exposure. But I mean, now that we have Professor Google, I'm sure that we can always... Yeah, we'll, we'll Google them. Something interesting... As a very, very nostalgic callback. So, Brett Ewens passed away recently. He was an artist yeah. uh, most known for his work, I think, on 2000 AD. Yeah. Peter Milligan, who was his co-creator uh, for Bad Company, which I think is one of Milligan's best works, up to a point. It's one of those serials that had a fantastic climax and then went on for two more years for no reason. Like she had the changing men? One of those. Well, pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Ah, I had not considered that. That might actually be a thing with him. Milligan works best in short bursts. That's true. Milligan will be bringing Bad Company back for a tribute story. Well, you know, sentimental reasons aside, 2000 AD is one of those ongoing publications where it's always interesting to sort of go back and see what passes the test of time and what doesn't. I can still read Nicolai Dante today and enjoy it. I can still read Zenith. I can still read even like the lesser known stuff like Skiz. A lot of the old Judge Dredd still holds up pretty yeah. well. You know, Sinister Dexter was really good for a while. Uh, Strontium Dog was great. So Bad Company, unfortunately, I think suffers in terms of its reputation because it had like these two additional storylines after it hit the climax that basically you could tell that Milligan was struggling with what to do. The interesting thing about it is that it's very much a science fiction reaction to the Vietnam War. And now he wants to do, obviously, you know, I mean, the Vietnam War is sort of over by now when there are new parallels when you're talking about war. So uh, it'll be interesting to think. This could be painfully unsubtle. It could be. It could be. But then again, it's Milligan. Milligan is perfect for 2008 because they both have wild swings of ups and downs like... Mm -hmm. Either great or terrible and not yeah. often in the middle. You know, it's the same old problem with the anthology format is that, you know, you buy this issue, there are five stories in them. You might like one and hate four. What do you do with it afterwards? But, you know, now we have trades. Yeah. So that works out great. TV and movie news. Brian Singer has confirmed that there's a new cut of X-Men Days of Future Past coming out soon that will restore Rogue's part in the story. Some background, basically what happened was that Anna Paquin was on set. She filmed certain scenes as Rogue. She was supposed to be in the climactic scene in the future at the end when the Sentinels attack. 
and her part was cut for reasons that to this day aren't entirely clear. But now they are releasing a new version in which her role in the story has been restored. Spoilers, although, again, this is completely unconfirmed, so I don't know if it's actually spoiling anything. The idea is apparently that you saw Days of Future Past, right? I saw Days of Future Past. We can, we'll talk about the movie in a minute. Yeah. But anyway, what happens is that apparently when Wolverine wounds Kitty Pride, who... That thing with her time travel powers was really poorly, stupid. stupid explained. But then they bring Rogue in as a replacement, which may actually be the one bright idea that they have in the entire that, story. That movie, it had some good parts, it but it was all sorts of stupid. I mean, its time travel mechanics were some of the worst that I've seen in a movie since... The worst I've seen in a movie. It made Looper look coherent, and yeah. Looper had no idea what... And it had all sorts of... It had also sort of moving parts and scenes which were obviously there without consideration of the wider part. Quite frankly, I found because, the future X-Men more interesting than the past ones. And at the end, if the whole future X-Men thing was redundant. We didn't need to see that. They kept on telling him, you know, if well, while you're stuck in the past, the, the time is still traveling on. And I'm like, how many days is it spent there? Because how many how many days does Kitty Pride stand there? Yeah. Half of them with gushing wound through her, mm-hmm. holding him. Because it's been days, you know, he's traveling up, he's traveling down. Yeah, and the, they, the timeline mechanics here were, were, all were stupid. Up. And they had this major problem that, you know, at a certain point, they finally gave Xavier his powers back. And he never uses them to actually stop the assassination, which he could have done in 1.2 yeah. seconds. That scene at the airport is like, yeah. he's talking to Mystique, Mystique don't do it. And I'm like, okay, at this point, you have 1,000 different ways to stop her. You can take, if you can take over some flight attendant, you can, you know, you can take over the pilot and, uh, right. ground the plane. You can take over, uh, some security guy and, and arrest right. her. You can do a the, million things and you do nothing. Nothing yeah. because And why? Magneto changes his, and quick, uh, uh, his motivation halfway through the he's film. He's lawful good. He's chaotic evil. Yeah. He's, uh, true natural. And Quicksilver appears and this, it, it was, was a mess. And, and I don't think that restoring Rogue's part in the story would make it no. Better, but on the other hand, no, we don't need another character in that movie. Lack of yeah. more characters was not its problem. No, it really wasn't. Well, but it is coming out. So, I mean, first of all, good for Rogue fans, I guess, because I do wish that she were utilized better in these films. But you know, at least uh, Brian Singer's next X Men film will hopefully be his last, and then ah. we can be free of him. More news. So, Stephen Amell. Star of the CW's Arrow has been cast as Casey Jones in the Abomination that is TMNT2. Now, let me explain something to you, Mr. Bay. He's not the director, he's the producer. All, all evil flows from him. You know this as well as I do. Anyway, let me yes. explain something to you. If you are trying to cast someone that will bring people into the film who have seen the first one and are still bleeding from the eyes, you're going to have to do a little bit better than the guy who is starring in a show that is a success despite his presence, not because of it. Cast Patrick Stewart as Casey Jones. You'll get some butts in the seats. That's interesting. Stephen Amell, I mean, nobody watches Arrow for his acting. Well, they watch Arrow for some reasons. It's like everything except him, you know? No, no, no. They watch Arrow for him, not because of his acting. 
Right. His other chops. The, the, the meme with the salmon letter. Sure, but it's like... No, I'm talking about his lack of shirt-wearing powers. Yeah, yeah. because he does that letter thing every episode, and, you know, it's become a meme to the point where, like, the people on Flash make fun of him for it. But anyway, it's like, Casey Jones is a major character in the sort of Turtles mythology. mythology. That's a weird thing to say. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles... Mythology. But, I mean, when you think about it, how many iterations have they been through and how oh, many retellings oh. and how many different versions and how many universes? It's, for, they, for all of the things from the 1980s that you thought would be a big deal, the damn Ninja Turtles... Oh, I knew that they'd be a big deal. It's not. It's more popular than G.I. Joe. It's bigger yes. than Transformers. No, not as big as Transformers. As big as Transformers in terms yeah. of constant reiteration and speaking... How is that a surprise, though? And speaking to new generations. It, I thought it would be an 80s thing and gone. But mm-hmm. no, it resurfaced in the 90s, resurfaced in the 2000, and yeah. now it's... It got to the point where there has been a movie in which there were enough different versions of the Turtles to do like a multi-universe crossover. Yeah. The Convergence, Convergence the, Turtles. Convergence Turtles. <laughs> Secret Wars on Ninja, on Ninja Earth. Battle World. Yeah. You know, so clearly they've been through enough incarnations that I guess the good news for Turtles fans is that because they've been recontextualized and rewritten so many times, Bay being crap at it will not sink the franchise, hopefully. No. You know, he's bad, well, but he's not... He's not a good director, especially on these franchises. No. I re- I actually... His movies tend to suck. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, I really liked Pain and Gang that he did two years ago. It was one of those movies where you actually could see he cares about what he's doing and not like all the Transformers movies, which are basically automated pilot. I'll give the public what it wants, and I think that the public is I- an idiot, and the public proves me right every time. Yeah. But say what you will, he doesn't tank any franchise. If anything, he makes them bigger. Transformers was big before him, after him. It's the biggest movie franchise, which is not, you know, the Avengers or anything. Every single movie made like a billion dollars worldwide. Yes. It's but... ridiculously successful. No studio exec will ever regret signing no, Michael Bay's name no, on the top because, of anything. But studio execs, we're not concerned with the bottom line of a movie studio. No. I could care less that his movies make profits. It's torture for me to sit through them. Did you see that experiment? Somebody did this this very interesting experiment. They put a guy in a room with three television sets. Mm-hmm. They put Transformers 1, 2, and 3... And played them all simultaneously. And you can see scenes repeating themselves in all three movies at the same time in the film. Like, there's a formula, and it's tangible. Like, you can actually see that it's paint-by-numbers with him. So I find that offensive. Well, you can, and I'm not even a Transformers well, fan. Well, like, it doesn't I, matter to me what he yeah, does. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't accept the whole, well, I don't care about the bottom line, because the bottom line of his movies dictates what other movies do. The reason that a lot of cinema today... A lot of action cinema today looks as bad as it does is because of Michael Bay's movies, because of the rapid editing technique that he, well, not pioneered, but led the way to. Mm -hmm. You know, you can say, I don't care about it, but when good movies fail, people don't make more good movies, and when bad movies succeed, they will lead to more bad movies. Right. No, when I say I don't care, I mean I don't care that the studio execs hire him because he's profitable. That's obvious. But from a critical perspective, you know, I can't say that a Michael Bay Transformers movie is a good thing in no, any way. No. Because I watch it and I want to throw up. So, 
to hell with Michael Bay. Maybe maybe that means that Stefan Amell will take a break from Arrow and they can fill the time with other characters. They've already tried killing him off. It didn't stick. So I don't know. <laughs> you know, It's turning into one of those Batman shows where the main character is, bounces back from pretty much everything. So it's like there's no stakes anymore. Arrow season something or other. The oh. Rise of Arsenal. Oh, yeah. Well, they're already, Arsenal's already there. No, 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 I'm saying they should do the Rise of Arsenal storyline. Oh, no! No, not that. Why? Cat's defender of the public good. Fans of the show have no idea, like, the insane amount of stuff that went on in the comics. They don't even know that there's, like, this sword hanging over their head. Well, we could have done the Longbow Hunters, but let's do the one where the guy asks Hal Jordan, what have you done for the brown skins lately? That would just be like, Did they bring in the Duke of Oil yet? Is you, that winning one? You know, right? I don't know. I'm not. <laughs> it, it's coming though, probably. Okay. Speaking of the CW superhero franchise, though, the third spinoff from Flash and Arrow has announced two new characters: uh, Rip Hunter and Hawkgirl. They've both been cast. Now, the combination of these two characters with what's already been announced, which is Firestorm, Captain Cold, and the Atom. What the I hell? have no idea what's going what? on in there. What the 17 hells? I don't even know. I mean, it's a random... What is that? Like, the Outsiders? What? <laughs> like, in terms the of existing... The Seven Soldiers of Victory. Oh, God. The Sovereign Seven. The... Ugh, that's even worse. I don't know which, which scenario I prefer less. The Sovereign Seven or the Seven Soldiers? The Sovereign Seven Soldiers of Victory. It's raised a few eyebrows. But I will say this, like, I, I have to keep defaulting to when it comes to the CW specifically. Arrow may have failed for me. Like, it fails to, to invest. But The Flash was a success despite all the cynicism that was around it towards launch. So I guess if it's the same writers and the same creators attached, they could probably pull it off. I just have no idea what this show would look like. Like, Hawkgirl, Rip Hunter... The Adam and Captain Cold walk Whoa. into a bar and <laughs> it's the start of a joke. Yeah, it's 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 like that. It That's sounds, how you know Crisis is starting. Yeah, it yeah. sounds more and more like that uh, British superhero comedy show that ran for like one season. No, no heroics. heroics. Yeah. Yes. Because what the hell do you do with all these people? I might together? watch that though. If it was no heroics, I would watch it because no, no heroics was funny. And can they actually make Hawkgirl work on a TV budget? Because Hawkman on Smallville mm. was terrible looking, outright. W- Sub-cosplay looking. Right. Well, I don't know. I assume Wings. that the CW has a larger budget now than they did then. Because they've had all of these successful series. My concern is that's how she'll look. And, like, you want to go into Hawkgirl's backstory and try and boil it down for the CW audience? Because I sure would You can do the Justice League Unlimited like, version. She's an alien cop. The end. It's perfect. She's did they alien... go any further with that? Yeah, like, but the only... reincarnations and all that uh, stuff? They, the brought, Egyptian... they, they hinted at it, but they never showed it outright. And it's of like, course they didn't. And it's like, they, because in the later seasons of uh, the Justice League Unlimited, they brought in Hawkman. And he was saying like, we are reincarnation. And everybody's like, no, you're crazy. That's crazy. Hang on. Hawkman wasn't her they, they husband. Had to, they, they had... They oh, had, there were two Hawkmen. There, wa- there was a guy who wasn't Hawkman. He was the just, villain of the last, the second season. season. Yeah, and then they actually brought, uh, what's his face? Katara Hall or yeah. something? Yeah, they brought uh, him as, a, as an archaeologist. It's like, we're meant to be together. And everyone's like, you're a creep. That's no, weird. No. It was that, funny. I mean, it's understandable. I can imagine, like, you know, Paul Dini calling up the Hawkman DC they wiki make, and looking at the entry. No, and like, no. Nope. They actually, no, thank they, you. they sort of made it work. Not totally, but they sort of made it work. Fair enough. Okay. One last bit of interesting news. We have a showrunner for the Luke Cage Netflix series. 
It's Chio Hodari Coker, who has run Ray Donovan and Southland. Uh, Ray Donovan pretty much tanked out of the gig, right? Because I remember everybody was excited for it, and then the first episode came out, and I read the reviews, and it's like, in a single line of horrible, horrible... Bleak, boring, uh, well, sub I mean, HBO-ish. It was Liev Schreiber. What were you expecting? I you like know. Liev Schreiber. Yeah. He has a bad habit of choosing terrible roles, <laughs> but he's a good actor. I've n- if he is, I've never seen it. But this does seem interesting that they're taking a very, very specific tone. Combined with the news that it's Mike Coulter, that does seem to suggest that they're moving much, much further away from anything related to the fantastic or the supernatural yeah. and that this will really be sort of a gritty Marvel crime series. Marvel Knights on the one hand, but even within Marvel Knights, there was sort of a range. Daredevil is going to be dealing, so the rumors say, we'll know in a couple of days when the yeah. Netflix series comes out. There have been rumors that there will be sort of, you know, the involvement of the hand and ninjas and all that. So that is one sort well, of corner it's Mar- of Marvel it's Marvel Knights. Comics version of critter realism where you know there's a yeah. fat crime boss with a laser shooting cane and a bunch of ninjas. If that's Vincent D'Onofrio has a laser cane. I am going to watch every second of this the show. Comics Alliance, you know, years and years back when they were doing the Frankenstein uh, Punisher uh-huh. and people were responding, I don't see the appeal of that in the core Marvel universe and they had that meme of in the core Marvel universe da 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 uh-huh. X and it's like in the core Marvel universe, a gritty crime story involves a fat mob boss with a bunch of ninjas at his beck and call. Well, the question is yes. whether it's really fair to make that assumption, because then you say things like, in the core Marvel universe, one of the wealthiest industrialists in America is also a goblin-worshipping cultist who hears voices and has cornrows. And he's also Dick Cheney for a time. And is also Dick Cheney. In so- the core Marvel universe, a planet has a goatee. Yeah, yeah, what was up with that? Well, it was John well, Byrne. Yeah. <laughs> no, Ego is not John Byrne. Ego is... I'm uh, pretty sure he's John No, Byrne. no, Ego is Kirby. That's all the no, way Kirby. Yes. He lo- the no, original... But Ego looks like John Byrne. No, that's the... With the, with the beard and the... That's the uh, Peter David comedy version, I think. That You know, Ego, mm. the living something or other. Possibly. The living writer. The, ori- the original Ego design is all Kirby. There was an ego version, which was a parody. Yeah. Yeah. But that's not the original. Okay. Okay. We're talking about Ego the Living Planet. Yes. How did that happen? No, I'm just saying because it's still all in the same universe, technically. Yeah. Well, they have mentioned that Daredevil, for example, is going to at least reference the attack on New York. And they sort of have to do it because it's still set in the Frank Miller's hellish version of Hell's Kitchen, which mm-hmm. has no relation to modern-day Hell Kitchen. You know, it's well, not... I it's don't n- know if they're doing it specifically the, the way the that Frank Miller did. And the previews re- and the advanced reviews suggest that it's going to be very Miller-influenced, and so okay. they had to sort of justify, well, why is parts of New York are ah. hell? Like, well, we have been through an alien invasion, you know. Things That's are a bit... clever. Yeah. That is very, because very you want Because you want to do the Miller version, but you can't actually do it these days because post-Giuliani New York is not like that. Yeah. It's not wow. a crime-ridden, you know... Listen, I cannot wait for the Daredevil series. I am really, really... Well, I can wait, but I'll see. I just know that I'm going to have one of those Netflix binges. Of, I'll just watch the first episode 48 hours later. I'm like, God damn, that was amazing. Yeah, but... Uh, <laughs> they're trying to bring in the people who watch the ABC Family shows to... Goddamn, uh, you know, HBO original gritty crime drama level. 
in the same universe. I don't think that they're concerned with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. If Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. had been more successful in terms of ratings, yeah. that would be fair enough. But I think that Netflix that knows... Show, that show drops fans, right? It's... Yeah. I mean, really, at this point, it probably would have been canceled by now if it had not had the backing of Disney, but also the idea that if Age of Ultron is coming out, they're hoping it'll work the same way that The Winter Soldier did, Mm. where the film will have an impact on the series. But quite frankly, the series has gone so beyond the pale. There are Inhumans running around now, and now there are two shields. They brought Edward James Olmos. Edward James Olmos, Admiral Fracking Adama himself, onto this show to play a boring bureaucrat. After wasting Lucy Lawless. So this show has just... Okay, here's an idea. But don't get me started on At Agents the, of S.H.I.E.L.D. Towards the end of Age of Ultron, Ultron strolls around and in one hand shoots a laser beam, destroys the cast of that TV show, and that's the end of the season and the end of the show. I mean, it's like, canceled, folks. Ultron you, killed everybody. You know, the most common sentiment that I have seen expressed about Agents mm. of S.H.I.E.L.D. is that every time there's a guest star, they're like, why can't the show be about that person? As opposed to everybody else on this show. The entire cast, except for Melinda May, who is fantastic, but never gets any focus, Mm. because, of course, all the decisions on this show are wrong. Uh, You got me started on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but Daredevil, I feel like the Netflix series are going to be a different creature altogether. Hopefully. And the connectivity between them, because they've already said, for example, that Luke Cage, before he gets his own show, is going to appear in Alias Jessica Jones. So he's going to be a guest star there, and then it's all connected together, they're all branching off of each other. This might work. I'm, I'm really optimistic about it. Yeah. Shall we go to the reviews? Reviews, we, yes. We were fast this one. Well, not a lot happened. Yeah. You know, hopefully, uh, I, I'm just waiting for somebody to screw up so that next time we can be like, well... Uh, shall we start with Kanan the Last Pet one? Let's start... From all the Marvel Star Wars books, <laughs> you know, we, we didn't review Star Wars number one. We On didn't principle. Do, yeah, we didn't do Princess Leia. We didn't do Darth Vader. We are doing the five-issue miniseries, which is a prequel to an animated... Cartoon, which none of us has actually watched by this point. I have seen two episodes. I haven't had time to watch it. Uh, anyway. Uh, it K- has been getting good reviews, to be yeah. fair. Yeah. Uh, the writer is Greg Weissman. Mm-hmm. That's well, the reason. This is the reason we picked it up. Yeah, Greg Weissman, in case you don't know, uh, shame on you. Creator of the second best animated series ever made. Gargoyles. Gargoyles. And of the Spectacular Spider-Man TV show, which is the best Spider-Man mm-hmm. animated show. And here's something surprising. He was also the showrunner for the second season of Witch. Now, this is a lesser-known <laughs> animated series about a bunch of magical girls with fairy wings. Here's the funny thing. I watched that show at the time, and I was only aware that Wiseman was involved after the fact, but when I found that, I was like, so that's why the second season was so much better than the first one. I mean, wow. Because here's the thing with Wiseman. The reason that he is so good is that... He has the ability to create these storylines with surprise twists and plans within plans and callbacks, and he makes great use of continuity. The, the fact that it is a kid show is no reason for disrespecting his not even a He never bit. disrespects his audience. He's like, kids are as smart as you trust them to be. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm going to plot to them as if I would plot to an adult. Yeah, and you can tell, for example, when you look at Gargoyles, it had these really intricate and oh, detailed storylines. Yeah. Amazing and these- things. He would even play with your sense of chronology because you remember like the big twist with Demona, one of the major antagonists in Gargoyles is that 
the audience assumed that she had been frozen in time like the heroes. And it turns out she had this entire life, a thousand years uh, of Of running around. Backstory that we didn't even know. And he slowly started parceling it out. And things that she did hundreds of years ago had consequences into the present day that you didn't even know about until they happened. It was amazing. This was a, a Disney animated show. It didn't... Nobody ever gave it the credit that it deserved. Well, it was part of the 90s renaissance, which had a lot of good stuff and animation coming out of it in general. Now, he was also an executive producer on Young Justice, and that one didn't work out as well. I have a theory about that. I think the reason it did not go as well is because when you're operating within the constraints of a fictional universe that's already existing, for example, DC, it's hard for him to do that kind of setup. He wanted to create this whole complex mythology. There was this secret organization that was working against Young Justice. And, but you could tell that it wasn't really clicking. Well, we are talking about uh, comic rights with a predetermined universe. And I think this well, work Well, but works Star fine. Wars is broader. Now that uh, Disney sort of swept away yeah. all the old canon, and yet they kept the prequel trilogy. You would think that would have been first well, on their okay, list. Okay, so anyway. Jar Jar Binks. Uh, Star Wars Rebels, the TV show, is about yeah. a bunch of rebels. And one of them is a... The leader is a guy, is a guy called Kanan, who apparently was a Jedi Padawan, a Jedi apprentice during mm-hmm. the Clone Wars. And the first issue has a short framing sequence, and then it's, uh, this is my life during the last days of right. the Clone it's Wars. It's a flashback my... miniseries. Yeah. It's pretty we, obvious. Well, for the first issue, we don't know what's gonna happen, because the end of the first issue is pretty much, they can go anywhere from here. It could be, no, but it it's, could it's jump clear in that the story is framed as sort of, if this is it's his backstory. CC, if any other writer, yes, but it's Greg Weissman, so mm. nothing is clear. He could go good. any way. Good point. Any, well, any in which fact, way. In, in this first issue, I'll admit that I had some reservations about it because it's set in the prequel trilogy. You can't get away from the association that it was so bad. And when you have to sort of get into the story despite all this stuff going on, ugh. But Wiseman does some interesting things here. He raises some interesting questions. For example, Kanan's master yeah. is She's a just... character who, for some reason, never appeared in the prequels, although it seems like yeah. the most obvious thing. So the Jedi decide to become generals in this Republic army and fight this gigantic war. Wiseman is, in fact, saying, you know, well, she is one of those people who says... Why are we doing this? And she's very successful as a fighter and as a leader, and mm-hmm. the clone soldiers like her, and their pet one likes her, but she's saying, I am not comfortable with me being called a general and being well, a part of the chain of command. It's not her specifically. She says that the Jedi, Jedi shouldn't be there. And really, when you compare the way that the Jedi are referenced in the original trilogy yeah. and the way they turned out in the prequels, you can sort of see what Wiseman is saying here, because... In the beginning, they're framed like these this order of hermetic monks or whatever yeah. with magical powers. And then all of a sudden, there are so many of them. You remember in the second prequel movie, yeah. there's that pit scene yeah. with 500 Jedis, Jedis flying around, lightsabers everywhere. You don't even know what's happening. And it's like, well, what's, you know, it loses all of its uniqueness uniqueness, and, and all of its special nature when they're all running around doing all of these things. There's a lot of interesting stuff in this very short issue. Mm-hmm. You also... You know, it starts with them liberating a planet from the separatist army, and then the people they liberate tell them, well, we just replaced one general with another. We yeah. don't, we don't care about your war either way. And they have to grapple with that. And, uh. What the- I really liked about this, mm-hmm. Kanan himself was very, very atypical yeah. in the sense that when we see him as an apprentice, 
His perspective is he loves this war. He's having a ball. He's having a great time fighting. He believes in the cause. He's Luke Skywalker. He, almost. No. Because what happens with Luke Skywalker and with his father, with Anakin Skywalker in the prequels, is that whenever they show some kind of signs of life, as opposed to being, you know, completely medicated and boring and dull, whenever they get excited by violence or something like that, it's a sign that they're going towards evil. Star Wars is not subtle in that yeah, sense, yeah. right? Like, if you enjoy punching someone, you are going to the dark side and then there's no coming back, right? You're evil. And here, the fact that He's this kid who's so excited by fighting. His master, you know, she tells him, you might want to stop for a second and reconsider, but she never tells him, you know, you're heading towards the dark side. It's sort of this more complex shade of gray that Star Wars doesn't have, but that Wiseman does. Yeah, Lucas created a really bad, in the prequel trilogy, a really bad idea of what the Jedi Council is. Mm -hmm. All sort of conflicting ideas and ideologies. Like, you should be a motionless machine that preserve and Wiseman actually makes it work which by all right because he doesn't follow that line well not completely but he never discards it he never you know she actually tells him you have to control your emotion which is very important in the prequel trilogy well, what she says it's sort of a subtle criticism of the prequel films right yeah because in the prequel films the whole, uh, I say the whole reason yeah. I mean as if there were any logical motivations in those movies at all. But the whole reason that Anakin goes insane and becomes Darth Vader is because he loves his wife. That's the way that Yoda says, right? Like, he's like, you... Did Joe Quesada write this? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that was the scene that made Marvel go like, Disney, come! We believe in the same things. It was like, Yoda keeps telling him, your feelings and your emotions are going to inevitably draw you to the dark side. What she says here, his, uh, Kanan's master is like, you know, you have these feelings. They're not inherently bad. Just be careful what you do with them. You have to see things clearly. But she doesn't tell him, don't have love. Don't believe in anything. Don't enjoy anything. Just be like a, be like Mark Hamill in Return of the Jedi. But, <laughs> I mean, I, I shouldn't, uh, no, you know, no, I shouldn't badmouth Mark Hamill because he guest starred on the last episode of Flash as the trickster. And he was phenomenal. Mark Hamill is good when he wants to be. Yeah. Um, but it, I, so all you, in all, it's a very good issue. Uh, Pepe Larez art is excellent. You know, yeah. perfect storytelling as far as I'm concerned. You know, he actually makes the clone troopers work, which it's pretty difficult because they're all a bunch of identical clones. Was that not the perfect setup for Lucas? It's like, yeah. well, if they're clones and they all, they all yeah, act it's the same. Because, the same because the same. yeah, identical clones fighting identical robots and nobody cares. Yeah. Here, we actually care about the characters when things happen to them. Mm -hmm. Which, it's... You know it's, what it's, it is? I can... I would actually like to see it as an ongoing comic book series. My reservation here mm -hmm. has nothing to do with Wiseman. The, the, I wish that Wiseman were doing something else instead of this. This is good. But it's... Whenever you're dealing with any kind of Star Wars material, particularly material that tries to either explain things that happened in the prequel trilogies and didn't really click, or rewrite the prequel... Like, you know, they're all... All of these interquel materials are always dealing with the problem of the prequel trilogy was trash, and what do we do with that? Like, how do we fix it? There's a lot of that here. You know, Wiseman tries to humanize the clones and individualize them. So you have one of them who seems to be 
more sympathetic and one of them who isn't. You have dissent within the Jedi Order, which says that there are individuals there after all, and they're not just like some yeah. giant hive mind of serenity. You have a kid with some kind of moral complexity, which you don't go to Star Wars for that. No. So I kind of wish that he were doing something that would really let him... Because these are the things that he's best at. He's good at finding the missing moments in the timeline and showing moral complexity and uh, distinguishing characters and making them all sympathetic and, and pitting sympathetic characters against each other. He's very good at that. I wish that he were doing something other than Star Wars because Star Wars will always require you to grapple with the original material on some level. And it's like, it drags him down. Would you not have enjoyed this more if it had been a different science fiction universe, not a tie-in? I'm not sure. I, I enjoy it as it is, and I think he's doing a fine work. I would, of course, love to see other stuff from him because he's a good writer. Yeah. And I think from all of the Marvel Star Wars books, we didn't review them, but I've actually read them. This mm-hmm. is definitely the best. They're not, none of them is bad, but this is the best in, by a long shot. Right. We should note, just as, as an aside, because we haven't actually said this, but it is true... The book doesn't require you to watch Rebels. No, I again, there, I've watched two episodes. And yeah, that's it. there's a one-page framing sequence that just says this is going to be a flashback. But Wiseman introduces Kanan as an apprentice very well. The art's good too. Yeah, we've been, yeah, <laughs> we've been we've, singing Wiseman's no, praises we've this whole time. Pablores does you know very solid work. He's a good storyteller. Yeah, again, nothing super flashing, nothing uh, avant-garde-ish or anything. Just. Good old space fighting, laser be. sword whipping. There's a very good series of panels where they're practicing with their lightsabers yes. on the cliff during nighttime. You can only see their shades and mm-hmm. the lights of, the, of the blade. Scene. That's a very good scene. You have to wonder if it's a gift for an artist when they say, please draw like a dozen clones. They all look the same. That's <laughs> okay. You know, you don't have to worry about like diversifying their look. They all look the same. Okay, so from one very... Are you coming back for more though? I'll read it. I, I'll read. I'll, I... I'll read the whole series. I'm not sure that I'll actually bother to watch the TV show, mm. even if Wiseman is involved in the TV show. I'm just... He was. He, yeah. he left after the first season. No. I'll watch the I first just, season. I, just, I don't like TV's version of animated CGI because it always looks cheap to me. Modern days is better than the '90s. You know what? What have you reboots <laughs> and Beast hey, Wars? Don't badmouth reboot. I it was will. amazing. Did you know that Dan Didio was involved in reboot? Did you know that Dan Didi was involved in the sequel series to Beast Wars? That doesn't surprise me, but I mean, reboot, God. Um, how the mighty have fallen. Okay, so moving on to a very, very different kind of book. And just the look on your, like the glee on your face right yeah, now. I'm gonna it, let you it, take this no, one. No, no, because we're, it's very much the same because it's a space opera setting. Uh, without Earth, without, you know, anything resembling anything other than, you know, deep space fantasy. Mm-hmm. But the difference is so glaring. <laughs> we are talking about Space Raiders, uh, number one, a four. Written by Fabian Rangel Jr. with art by Alexis Zirit. And it's by Black Mask Publishing. Yes. Which is a publisher that I have for years very much. I have high hopes for them. Mm-hmm. And they keep missing it mostly because they're, they have terrible history deadlines. Right. You know, they, they'll start a miniseries, they'll release the first three issues, and then... Yeah. It's sort of those situations where you want them to succeed. Oh, yeah, I really want them to succeed. But it's hard to root for them consistently when the end result isn't quite where it should yeah, be. Patrick but on the Meany other hand, they're worked, new. Yeah, Patrick Meany worked for Secret Rights for them. He did uh, Last Born. Mm-hmm. But 
I read last one and I think I'm missing an issue and I'm not even sure. Did it came out? Did I miss it? I should buy the trade and that's it. In space, nobody can hear your screaming skull spaceship <laughs> uh, fighting uh, space bikers. Listen, I gotta tell you something. This book was when made for When you recommended this issue, yeah, I turned to the first page and I'm like, let Tom talk about this one. Because uh, I knew, because this, the art here, Zirit's art, Immediately took me to Tom Scioli. Yeah. Immediately. And or, I was uh, like, who, who, what's his face? Michael does, No, what's his face who does Copra? Oh, I'm blanking on his name. Yeah. But right. yes, there, there's some of that too. But did it anyway. also not remind you a little bit of Mike Allred? In, in, in the, the character, face. in the character's faces, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so, uh, I knew that you were gonna have okay. something to say. Uh, Captain, Captain, or Capitan, if you listen to him, <laughs> Paligro is a space raider. He works for the Earth Coalition, whatever, I don't even remember the initial space fleet. Yeah, the and backstory is a little vague. Yeah, and he's relieved of his duty after being extremely violent. And ten years later, mm-hmm. something like that, he's reinstated and he's told, if you want to go back on the fleet, you have to complete three missions without problems with a talking baboon with a gun and... He's uh, a mandrel. Yeah, sorry. Just a, man- a baboon. Yes, and the robot psychologist that uh, <laughs> fired him in the first place. Okay, this thing is short on plot, it's yes. short on character, it's high on attitude, and it's high on its own material, supply, what have you, mm-hmm. and it's beautiful. This is just, I don't care about anything, it's a ridiculously gorgeous, yeah. screaming heavy metal of a book. It's one of the things that I actually buy in issues simply to look at it, and they took very careful care, careful care, mind you. To make sure that it looks faded, you can actually see, you know, creases on the art and coffee stains on the pages. Mm. It's not, it's not bad scan work. That's the way it is on the actual issue. Right. It's one of those things that I keep on saying it should be printed on newspaper print. I can see that actually. It, it should. It should. Yeah. And, and I think four issues is probably the right amount of material for this. I, at first I thought well, it was. This could be an, I mean, this, the way that it's set up. Yeah. It could be an ongoing. Yeah. It could be, but. Even someone like me might get tired of this because, like I said, it's intentionally very low on anything resembling death. Yeah. But it's... I like these things. Again, I like Transformers vs. G.I. Joe. I like Copra. I like the humans. I'm surprised you enjoy this because, for me, this is very much like the humans simply because, again... I didn't say that I enjoyed it, but go ahead. Oh, (laughs) Well, uh, go ahead and I'll... I'll Because it's, it's one of those modern... Post-comics comics, which are basically, well, we had the whole run of, you know, trying to be literary and important. We very much enjoyed the British Invasion. And now we're back to the source, which is, it's colorful, it's popping with energy, and that's about it. Okay, so I'm not going to criticize this book too much, because... Mm -hmm. You said it, and you're absolutely right. It doesn't have any pretension of being more than what it is. If you buy this issue, you are buying it for the artwork, which really is stunning. I mean, there's a page, uh, the splash page, in which the bandits want to steal the giant skull-shaped spaceship that Capitan yeah. is flying. And it's just this detailed, colorful mix of... There's a little Kirby in here. There's a little All Red. There's a little... I mean, Zero's influences are... The influence are shining. She's not hiding them. But on the other hand, why should she? She's doing them really well. But it's still very much its own thing. Yes. So this is absolutely a book that you would buy mm-hmm. only for 
the visuals. Oh, the I, Space Vikings. I are... mean, the plot. I couldn't tell you what happens in this issue because I have no idea. It, no. it just jumps from like one scene to the next, and I don't. It's like wait. So he was discharged. Yes. And then all of a sudden he's in a bar. He's brought back. Later, yeah. And then this mandrel shows up and tells him to do this thing. And the robot psychologist, and then somebody gets stabbed in the eye, and then there's like this spiral of, of, they fly into a red cloud. And for reasons that are never explained, they fly into the red cloud, and there's this spiral of LSD, and somebody loses his mind, and somebody else is like, got fire shooting out of his nostril. Incoherent. Incoherent from top to bottom. Well, but on the other hand, it's not a book that I would follow but it is a book that i would hold up and say look at this artwork if you appreciate uh, art on any level that's what you should be going for i think it's the best of uh wrangle wrangle did uh doc Anon, which is a sort of a mike magnolia influenced kickstart project you know mm-hmm. there's a 1930s occult investigator slash crime fighter which i didn't really like i thought it was i saw what it was trying to do but i thought it was dull mm-hmm. And here I think he does what a writer on this kind of project should do, which is back off. He lets the art do the talking. And it's perfect for it. I don't know if I would agree that he lets the art do the talking simply because Zirit's storytelling abilities are on the one hand in evidence, but on the other hand, it's not like she's creating the plot because... No. Follow, you can follow the visuals very clearly. No. It's never too cluttered. It's not yeah. like, like Jeff Darrow where you have to really look at the, at the image hmm. and sort of parse the specific details. It's pretty clear what happens. Well, happens. there is a double spread of, you know, chapter one, Vortex of Madness. Sure, you know? but even in the yeah. Vortex of Madness when you have the panels of, you know, he's being stabbed in the eye. Yeah, there's, all, there's all sort of, you know, stuff in the background. Like a pyramid spaceship is apparently fighting and. Yeah. And I, and I would say one more thing. I really like the logo. I old don't, school. Yeah. Very old school. It's not stretched all over the cover. It's like condensed into like the words are being pushed on both sides. There's a very strong golden age vibe here, I think. Yeah, but it's not dull. I think a lot of golden age comics mm-hmm. these days, for all their insanity and plotting, tend out to actually read as very, very boring. This is not boring. It's not boring, it's just no. confusing. I, I think I think it's a straightforward type of confusing. Fair enough. I cannot praise the art enough. Yeah. But that's about as far as it goes. I wouldn't come back for another one. I'm here for the long run. Okay. And now, okay. here's the one that I have been waiting for. Yeah, yeah. So Kaiju we... Max number one. Mm-hmm. Art and writing by Xander Cannon. Publisher? Publisher Oni Press. We have not talked about Oni Press yet. Okay, so this is one of those books where even if the premise wasn't amazing, I would have picked it up anyway on the strength of the creator. Because Xander Cannon worked on Top Ten with Alan Moore. He did Heck for Top Shelf. Double Barrel. Double Barrel. These are all superb books, right? So I was ready for this. As soon as it popped up on the solicitations, I'm like, I want that. And I'm going to admit that there are points in this issue where I hit the floor laughing. It's so funny. And I don't know if it's intentional. This is sort of the question mark here. The story is, there is a maximum security island prison for giant kaiju. Humans pick them up, snatch them, drop them in this space. Naturally, being a prison, the kaiju organize into gangs. The robots... The, the ro- Japanese monsters, the <laughs> cryptozoids. I 
I've been just thinking about the cryptics, the, yeah, the crypts, yeah. Um, the monsters exercise in the yard by pretending to push over skyscrapers. They're doing like this walking machine, but they're walking on tiny cars. They make shivs out of boats, out of giant ships. They they just wrap up the hulls mm-hmm. and sharpen them. And you have these gangs who are like making plans about who gets to keep Tokyo when they break out. I'm making this list of like mm-hmm. the little things because they all come together really well. You notice that they keep saying, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. G-O-J. They're yeah. talking Godzilla. Gojira. Gojira. Godzilla yeah. is their god, right? Yeah. Brilliant. And there, our- there's the, the sort of allusion to prison rape with the, yeah. the little kaiju with the makeup. <laughs> That's not as charming. I mean, prison rape isn't funny, but when it's okay. giant monsters... Okay. Our, our main star is Electrogore, yes. who has recently captured a giant monster, and he's a family man. Yes. And he's very worried because his family is still out there waiting for him, and he's worried that the humans will get them. Mm-hmm. And specifically, he has two small children mm-hmm. who, according to what he says, they can't take care of themselves. He, like, he, need, needs, to, he needs to feed them. Yeah. And so he tries to deliver the message through uh, the jail's uh, snatch system. Yeah, yeah, that's a creepy design. <laughs> that's a, it's a, it's very much like the uh, the Marvel character, the Wendigo. Yes, it, it sort of reminded me of the Wendigo. And he gets embroiled in the sort of a proto gang war thing, and people are using him. And proto nothing. They're like Japanese monsters versus cryptozoids versus the, the robot creatures. No, no, the robots. <laughs> the robots don't fight. The robots are like you know. They found their god. Yeah. Like, join us, join, join us in peace, brothers. <laughs> there is no need to fight. The great electricity awaits us all. I laughed so much at, like, because it's, it's, the plot on the one hand is, there's a very human sympathetic element to it in the sense that, you know, Electrogore is worried about his kids. He tears up when he yeah. talks about them. My children are in danger. They don't know that I'm here. It's a very, Bitch Planet would have been fortunate to have something that human. It starts off with this splash panel of him like, you are the monsters. <laughs> but on the other hand, what I enjoy about this book so much is that it's a fusion of two concepts that you would have to be a gifted writer to even think of bringing those two things together, let alone doing it successfully. When they talk about the gang's machinations and their plans against each other and the boss See, of, of the is a giant volcano, basically. Yeah. <laughs> a sentient the, volcano. The thing that I really didn't get towards the end is the end of all the machinations in this issue. It was like, who was betraying who to get released to... No, what they do is... Mandrel, there's another mandrel yeah. in here, because mandrels are all the rage It's a days. popular design. Yeah. yeah. So he says, we want you to assassinate Ape Whale who is yeah. the leader of the Japanese kaiju, yes. so that we can take over, right? It's typical, you know, sort of prison politics. And what happens is they give this task to Electrogore, and Electrogore would rather face the warden, mm-hmm. which turns out to be a mistake, because the warden is, I guess... Is Voltron? Is Power something Zorn? like Voltron? Like, basically, he no, turns uh, into this giant... Ultraman, Ultraman. That would be it. Yeah, but can, could Ultraman grow like? Yeah, Ultraman was giant. Well, there you go. Yeah. So like he, the warden is basically sort of an Ultraman See, analog where he grabs the electrical by the tail and sends him flying, and the other monsters are like, "Oh my god!" It's a very good book. I think the only reason that didn't like him as much as you is because I had such high expectations. It, How did know, it not I, meet them though? Well, it's it didn't fail to meet them as much as it didn't exceed them. It's like this is exactly what you expect. I thought that the prison parts were a bit too humanized. 
Mm. You know, it's it's two uh, things in the Kaiju prison were too easily mapped to human gangs. I think that was the point, though. Yeah. Like, well, like I, it, I, I it, it was very similar to the humans in that. Yeah, sense. I get. I guess it, I agree. It's the point, but you know, I wanted a bit more. It's like the difference between Dave that we talked about and uh, the other uh, space science fiction drama. Uh, You're gonna have to narrow it down. I, uh, <laughs> the four issue mini from Boom uh, from Britain. Uh, Nomadic. No, 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 we talked about it. Uh, cluster. Oh. Oh, no, it's, oh. No, it's much better. That just shows you how forgettable Cluster yeah, was. Yeah, it's much better than Cluster, but again, it's like, if you're, like I said it before, if you're doing something outside the normal, I would like the end results to be a bit outside the normal. And here it's like, they had this huge setup and it maps exactly into a human prison drama. Meanwhile, now, it, this will grow and evolve. You can see it right here. But I would like it to be a bit more, you know, outsider-y. But I get why it is why it is, no, and I, I appreciate it. I, I think I see what you mean in the sense that when we were talking about Dave, for example, that's an yeah. interesting comparison. What we said was the reason that that book worked as well as it did, you asked at the time, like, why is he a robot? Yeah. He's a robot because his programming prevents him from having his midlife crisis. Yes. And that's the twist. Here it's like, well, if these were not kaiju, if they were humans, and you read this issue... It would play out pretty much the same. In the Israeli cinematic community, there is a term, I'm, I assume it's only here. It's called a toaster movie. And they started using it after the movie Fish Tales. And somebody said, why is it under the water? Would it have been any different if everybody in that movie were toasters? Mm. That's not a slide of the bread little toaster, by the way. <laughs> okay, it's a giant monster prison. And it leads to a lot of nice jokes. Yes. And but, also Xander Cannon's designs yeah, yeah. for the kaiju are fantastic. But again, if, if they were all sentient toasters, threatening mm. humanity and sent to prison, is the actual plot of the story any different? Well, I mean, I wouldn't take it towards the toasters. My question would just be like they were you, human. You, yeah, it's the same thing. It's like if it you would could, be bitch planted if, if it were human. Every, you know, if you could switch the character any which way, and the interesting part of the story is, well, look at these characters in this setting. You know, it's monsters in prison. What did you do? Right. I think the novelty here is more the fact that in the presentation, the kaiju. That, yeah. You know, the fact that you have like these giant monsters and they're all locked up, and in fact, there's this exchange later on where yeah, it's, it's, the warden said, you know. You ruled the world for thousands of years. Now it's our turn. Yeah, it's good. It's not yet great. I think it could be great. Right. I mean, I I'm here for this. Yes, for, yes, for definitely, definitely. I would say though that it would be to Cannon's benefit if he took it a little bit because we do have some kaiju who are outside the prison. Yes. Both the children and the one that uh, you know Helmoth mm-hmm. is sort of released <laughs> afterwards. So if there's more of that, I think that it could bring sort of that monstrous element back in because here it's more of like a one-for-one one thing right you know you take I, the kaiju you cast them as I, humans you put them yes, in prison I'm that's be- it that's why i'm more interested in the robots for example because electro is so human so yes humane that he's basically just a regular character and the the giant robots who think they're communicating with god they, maybe they are you know they're interesting they're mm-hmm. alien to me in yes. their approach yes and really when you talk yeah. about the kaiju genre well that's the question, though, right? Because the kaiju genre, as far as I can tell, tends to be split between two different interpretations of giant monsters. Where on the one hand, Godzilla is either this alien mind that you can't communicate with or, or reason with. It's a natural way. disaster in the form of a there, monster, right? Yes. Or he's the protector of Tokyo. In which case, you ascribe certain human qualities to him in the sense that, you know, he is 
fighting against another monster to protect. He's either a force of nature or a very, very nice and smart doggy. Or Superman, you know, like, because... I was about to say Superman doesn't destroy to- the city he's defending, but then <laughs> I thought... You haven't watched Man, Man of, Steel. of Steel. Yes, yes. He does. Godzilla probably looked at that and be like, let me give you some tips <laughs> about how to fight. <laughs> anyway, I really love this issue. Our only criticism, it could have been better. It's no, still good. Here's the catch. It's sort of a trap, this mm. book, because if Canon had written the kaiju as being more like the monsters from Pacific Rim... Mm-hmm. Where they're so alien that you can't communicate with them. Like, you don't understand what they think. But then who's your focalizer? It can't be a human because they have already won this yes. war, right? They have locked the kaiju up, so they have no reason to be interacting with them. So how would you... It would be very problematic from a writer's perspective to depict an alien mind that is, on the one hand, alien enough that you recognize it as being a giant monster. But on the other hand, having some kind of quality, because otherwise, why would you read the book? The reason that I am invested in Electrobor is because he's concerned about his children. It's a very delicate balance. Yeah. Moving on Moving to on. our trade slash arc slash web series review. Slash whatever. 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 We are going to talk about something that I have been looking forward to for a very long time. I did not read this while it was coming out. I waited until the last bit was out so I could do the whole thing at once. Introduce. We are going to talk about... Panel Syndicate's The Private Eye, which is a 10-part webcomic written by Brian K. Vaughn, art by Marcos Martin, and Munsa Vincenti. Now, Panel Syndicate is a relatively new project. Similar to Thrillbent, with one major difference that I'll elaborate on in a minute, this is a self-publishing webcomic organization, or website, or whatever you want to call it, where... First of all, you choose how much you pay per issue. The money goes directly to the creators. There's no go-betweens. There's none of that. There's no subscriptions. You determine the price. And from what Vaughn has said in the letter pages of The Private Eye, this approach has been successful. Now, the major difference between Panel Syndicate in general and Thrillbent is that Panel Syndicate is on time. And rather regularly. So well, for now, Pendleton the Cat is two series, right? Yeah. You have uh, the Private Eye, and you have Universe, Universe. which I've, I read the first issue of Universe. It was very good. Mm-hmm. I should probably read the the rest of it. Well, the conceit with the Universe yeah. is that it's self contained. The Private Eye is really more of a graphic novel, yeah. put into ten pieces. Although this being Brian Vaughn, you get to the end of the first chapter, and you're like, God damn, with those cliffhangers again. Do we want to talk about the success of the thing as? Yes, sure. Because for me, the fact that it was successful doesn't really say much because it's Brian Vaughn and Marcus Martin. If Universe is successful, in the English-speaking crowd, it's one thing. Because Universe is by a Spanish artist who's apparently very famous in Spain and Argentina. Albert Montes, yes. Yes, but I've never heard of him before. Mm-hmm. So if Universe is successful on its own in the English-speaking crowd, that's, that's a thing. The fact that Brian K. Vaughn, creator of Saga... Ex Machina, Why the Last Man, and Runaways launched a successful project is not a surprise to me. If a newcomer... That's not the revelation, though. No, but saying, well, I've been successful, the model works, means nothing. You've been successful because you've been successful before. It's like when Radiohead did their... What was it? In Rainbows album? Radiohead? Where did that come from? Radiohead was the first band to do the... We'll publish the album online and you'll pay as you want. And it was, I think, in Rainbows or Hail to the Faith or whatever. And it was very successful. But when people were 
very happy about it. I said, well, it's Radiohead. They had decades of building the fans. Obviously, Panel Syndicate succeeded on the strength of The Private Eye because it was Brian K. Vaughan. Yeah. We're going to talk about the actual yeah. The Private Eye in a minute. Soon, but soon. I think the revelation here was not the fact that it succeeded, but the fact that it was the pay-what-you-want aspect of it that succeeded because when you say pay what you want your assumption would be let's be cheap and buy it for like you know 20 cents why not or or a dollar whatever and And what vaughn has said is that no when you give the power to determine the price to your audience despite all logic saying that they would probably lowball it was profitable enough for them that they're coming back for a new series was not the private eye too but how old is patreon not that old? Well, the comics isn't that old because Patreon is a similar model, which is I'll produce content, I'll produce it anyway, and... The difference with Patreon, and I'm not saying this to blackball Patreon because, after all, Sigwart is on Patreon, but <laughs> the difference with Patreon is that you are paying... Also, this is mm-hmm. what it has in common with Thrillbent, by the way. It's like a subscription, right? You are paying on an X basis, like a monthly basis yes. or, or once a year or whatever. In the case of Panel Syndicate specifically, it's here is issue number one of The Private Eye. Pay for it what you want. You own no, it No, you, you can also do it on Patreon because I'm Patreoning uh, the uh, web artist Lee Love and her Patreon is whenever I produce a video, you will pay me. It's not you'll pay me each month no matter what I do. So you Some can, of them work that way and some yeah, of them yeah. don't. Like so, Jim Sterling, for example, video game uh, critic who I admire tremendously despite being... Very vulgar. <laughs> uh, anyway. That's he, a surprise? Well. Um, a video from critic being vulgar? You need to see what he does. I've, I've seen. I've in seen. In a him. good way. So Jim Sterling, for example, his Patreon is on a monthly basis, but his content is weekly, it can yep. be daily. You know, he, he does all these different things. So I think the format of subscription-based pay, this was what was wrong with Thrillbent. Because mm. Thrillbent was offering you time-based subscription when their schedule doesn't necessarily have any new releases, so you could be paying for nothing. Here, it's like, you know, an issue... It's like comiXology if you could determine the price. Hmm. And the fact that it made enough money for Vaughn... Vaughn doesn't need this. Vaughn gets plenty of, you know... He TV has works, own, comics TV work. works, comics. He doesn't need the exposure or the... Yeah. He's not desperate for funds. So the fact that it worked suggests that... I mean, it worked well enough that he's coming back for more. So clearly... More of this or more no, Panel new Syndicate? Series. Okay. He's going to do a new series okay. on Panel Syndicate uh, with Marcus Martin. So that suggests to me that what they were trying to prove here wasn't necessarily that the sort of Patreon model works, so to speak, but rather that if you offer good content, your audience will pay you despite the fact that they don't have to. You buy this 10 issues, give the man what they deserve because it's Good. Okay, so the actual comic. Yes. I want to preface this. I'm going to make you mad now. Okay. I want to preface this by saying that The Private Eye is everything I wanted The Surface to be mm-hmm. and was not. Okay. So we have a world here. It's funny when you look at the setup because the setup in describing it might sound a little bit like The Surface. So Patrick, our protagonist, is a paparazzi, which in this particular world is a combination thief, spy, and detective. Because he's living in a world in which the cloud, right, the internet, burst, and all of the private information that has been stored online and all of the things that you don't even know that you're storing in some server somewhere was exposed to the world and obviously changed a lot of things for everyone. Think global WikiLeaks for everything and everybody. 
So basically the notion of privacy was completely destroyed. There's this great line in the middle of the series where he says, it's not the secrets that destroyed people. It's their search histories. Yes. Because that's the stuff that you look for when you think you're alone. That's what shows you what you really are. And you know, families were destroyed. Lives were ruined. So this world, after this cataclysm happens, the world that Patrick inhabits is a world in which you can walk into a store and buy an identity. People walk around with masks. They can take pseudonyms. They can change their names, their you, faces, you, whatever they want. It's not that you can. Everybody does Everybody that. does it. Yeah, right. no, nobody... Unless you're underage. Yeah, nobody except children uh, shows their face or uses their true name in public. Except for Patrick. He's the only yeah. one. It's sort of a world in which everyone is wearing a mask. Explicitly. And it's also a world in which there is no internet... So there's sort of been a reversion on the one hand, but on the other hand, TV has become much more prominent. The fourth estate is very powerful here. Yes. Basically, journalists have taken the place of police. Yes. Now, not, not really explained why. I just assume that they were cops and now they so, dress so, like... Yeah, some of them act like cops. Some yeah. of them act like, you know, the FBI. Others still act like they're news Which is, you know, the one thing that the cops and the FBI don't like is people publishing what they're doing when they don't want it done. And yet, here the cops are in the act of self-publishing. Well, they're also completely yeah. incompetent, based on what everyone says about them. Like well, the ba- based on what the paparazzi is saying, he's proven wrong several times. And that's oh, true. Well, yeah. we'll, we'll get to yeah. that. Okay. The gist of it is that this is a fast-paced science fiction mystery. There's humor, there's action, there's intrigue. Top marks all across, which again doesn't come as much of a surprise when it's Brian Vaughn. It's like, what were you expecting? Um, but I really love the world that he created here. You know, it's very complex and layered and unlike the surface, it's also very clear and coherent. You know where you stand, even when it's the little details in the art, like when they meet star maps, mm-hmm. they're standing in front of Madonna's grave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> here lies Madonna. They go into this clothing store. But it's not a clothing store. It's a store that sells pseudonyms and identities. Uh, the main plot of the series starts where, uh, when the, our private eye gets a client. And she wants him to find out everything about her. Mm-hmm. And he's surprised by this because he says it's not like there's an internet yeah. anymore where your secrets can be stored. It's like just ask for a background check. And she says, no, I want you to go looking for anything that can come back to bite me. And it turns out that that's the start of a huge conspiracy, which mm-hmm. wants to do something interesting to the world, yeah. which we can't expose because let's that's not a huge spoil spoiler. that because it's and a huge he gets twist. a world with her with her sister. Uh, he has a psychic slash driver, Melanie. Did she not remind you of Gert from the Runaways? She did. She's this troublemaking teenager who's very sarcastic, and she's his driver because he doesn't have a car because he doesn't want to give his information yes. to the DMV. And at some point, she gets annoyed with him, and she's just sitting in McDonald's, and he's calling her, and she's like, I don't want to be your driver. He's like, I don't need a driver. I need a getaway, man. And the next panel, she's driving out okay. of McDonald's. Now, I really oh. like this series, but it's a very Brian K. Vaughn thing, which means you get his ups. And he's down. Now, Brian K. Vaughn, as you mentioned, I think is the best writer of serial fiction in terms of knowing how to set up the last minute swerve. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, somebody God. once mentioned that when you read Brian K. Vaughn, a lot of it works in three to five page chunks, which there's always a scene and something happens and there's always some sort of a swerve. But the end result of it is that a lot of the swerves have to be resolved in like 
oh well this happened like one issue ends with a huge crash like oh my god and the next issue is like oh two of the people are okay even though you know the actual swerve we saw was a huge crash everybody appears to be dead right sometimes he goes for the fake yeah, out yeah not and it's a 10 issue mini that I've read it once so I've seen you know I think they're like three fake outs even four you know, a character is stabbed and then like, well, oh my god. And then, oh no, apparently after being stabbed in the chest, you can walk, you know. In the back. In, well, in the back, in the chest. Or you can, yeah. you can walk all the way up and, you know, surprise somebody. And you know, a lot of it works on the fake out. Okay. And there's also his sometimes enduring, sometimes annoying, uh, character tick that everybody speaks in factoids. Like, did you know that? That's a Brian K. Vaughn line. True, although in this case you, you it's justified know, remember, because he's telling it to a senile old man. No, but everybody's talking like this. the senile old no. man is talking. In fact, did you know that? Did, but the, it's you like, remember okay, why the last man? You know the first the first line that Yurik has. I don't know. Did you know that Elvis had a twin brother? And you know it's yeah, important but that's to that exposition. It's trivia. Yeah, but everybody's talking in trivia and Brian K. Vaughn. There are certain tropes that mm. sort of intersect with that. Like, for example, the villain has the explanatory monologue. Yeah. In which he says very clearly, this is what I want to do. This is why I want to do it. And you have, for example, um, I love, by the way, the fact that the senile old man is talking about, like, why can't I get my iPod to work? So question, he, he's it, us. Question, is the is it only me or is the senile old man spider Jerusalem? You know, it might be. I, he looks like old Spider-Jerusalem. Wow. That would really be, I mean... There's a lot of gags here. Apparently in, in 2067, people are still watching The Big Bang Theory. Which, either... Ooh. There's a scene, there, you know, the scene where they're into yeah. the, in the shop and she's watching a TV show. Was that is, The Big Bang Theory? Uh, there was a blonde woman mocking a guy in a Flash cosplay. I assume it's a Big Bang Theory. <sighs> So either it's still ongoing in 2067... Or the watching reruns. Yeah. I don't know which is worse. mm, Well, when you think about it, if there's no internet, then the only records that they would have of past material would be, you know, anything that was recorded on CDs, anything that was recorded... Well, you know, all of those TVs exist in, you know, in the production companies. It's not... Not always. If it had been twice the size, I feel like he might have done more world building. Yes, and... For a limited story, the world is just a backdrop. This is, I mean, why do I keep I comparing it to okay. the surface? Because, like, the surface also had that component of the information age gone haywire. But in the surface, it starts with the world building, and the characters themselves are just sort of like, eh. They end up finding a giant penis transmitter in the woods. I don't know what that means. Obviously, it means a giant penis transmitter in the woods. What else could it possibly mean? Well, no, because uh, after you invoke Cosmopolis, you know there's some kind of symbolism there. Do I don't you, know how the patience you, to parse it. Can you buy the world in 2067 surviving? Because Internet Apocalypse isn't just, you know, now everybody knows everything. What happened to all, you know, the financial holdings, to the thousands of Internet companies that existed Gone. Gone. And I mean, you, cause it's, this it's, is 2067, but the, it, according to what they say, like the society the, bounced back, you know, rapid. Sure. That's the more realistic scenario. We've become very accustomed to the idea of dystopias, like Greg Rucka's Lazarus, yeah. where the world never really recovers after some kind of cataclysmic event. But realistically speaking, civilizations bounce back, especially since in this particular case, the destruction of the internet is 
from what I understood, it was voluntary. The fact that the cloud burst and all that information got out didn't mean that the internet stopped working. It means that society just stopped using it because it wasn't private anymore. Now, so do, do you think, what do you think about, do you think Vaughn is trying to send a message for or against it? Because the girl Melanie. like character, yeah, Melanie, who is very much the only character who is not without faults, but with little moral faults mm-hmm. is saying, you know, the internet is horrible. That's her final line, you know. I'm still reading books, which nobody would do when they didn't would come. That's an old man's right. Well, no, is, what she is says Vaughn speaking for her because if she does, it can't, it can't be because he's, you know, he's producing his comics on the no, internet. No, but it's, it's the same tension. I mean, we keep calling yeah. her Gert, but remember Sorry. this was, a, no, 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 but this was the thing with Gert too in Runaways is that she had very specific ideas that seemed atypical of her time. But on the other hand, she was also 16. So what does she really know? When the villain gives his big speech about the internet and, and what it was supposed to do and, and what it was meant to be and how it never, you know, it was abused. And she says, well, why would you think that some, that it wouldn't be abused? Why would you expect this technology to be pure? Rule 34 of the internet. Yeah. If it exists, there is porn of it. That's how it is, right? Technology will always be abused by people who have that capacity. What she says, though, is because we didn't have the internet, We had to do other things. But on the other, she wasn't alive during the internet no. era. So what does she really, the only like everything was... that she knows comes from the society that came afterwards. The only person who remembers the way things used to be is the grandpa. And you can't really trust anything that he says because he's senile. So Supposedly, you know, he's still very competent when he wants to be. I think he's playing yeah. because, you know, when he actually wants to be a doctor, he's a good doctor. That's true. Like he, he's such an endearing character because He's us, basically, in 50 years. No, We're going to be sitting somewhere being he, like, you know, where's no, no, my laptop? No, no, the more I think about it, the more, con- the more I'm convinced he's Spider Jerusalem. That's probably. He's ridiculously, you know, the lookalikes and the surly attitude and the yeah. kids. I can't find my Facebook profile. <laughs> it's like, Facebook stopped existing 50 years ago. Yeah, but I can't use the app. So uh, uh, he's making a point, I think, about internet culture. Like, th- there's an ambivalence here. No, because the, on the one hand... There is a statement here that because of the privacy that the internet allows, because of the anonymity, people were able to abuse the system beyond the scope of what seems reasonable. And I mean, there's no shortage of stories. Yeah, yeah. You know, what is the internet troll after all? This is a construct that is only made possible because it's anonymous, right? The death threats against female creators, the Gamergate story. There's no shortage of situations no. in which... The technology is abused because it allows anonymity. I think, but I think he's making a deeper point. But on the other hand, she is a child. No, 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 but I think think he's making a deeper point about the internet affects humanity. Because we have the old generation, you know, Gramps, and we have the young generation, the generation that grew up without even knowing what the internet is. Mm. And the old generation is childish. We have The one representation that we have of the internet age, you know, he's 70 and he's still like... Dude, bro, computer gaming. Well, he's almost... not the only one. Well, the, the antagonist of the story is also... No, the antagonist is not old enough. He's well, old it's enough... it's to... ambiguous. Yes. Like... The time frame isn't that clear, but... Yeah. Well, what I'm saying... The, the, the nice to... thing there is that because he's... The antagonist of the story is an ideologue, right? So he gives these speeches. Yes. You don't know if he's actually just spouting rhetoric or if it's something that he actually knows for a fact. And that question mark deepens the yeah but the, the tension between what, I, what I'm saying is 
I think Vaughn is making a point because when you have the internet age character being intentionally, you know, uh, acting young and immature and the one character who is the young person in today is the adult. I'm a reader. I'm a thinker. I, I don't go into all these stupid fads that you do. I'm a serious person. I work at my age. You're talking about Melanie though. Yes. But Melanie is also chomping at the bit to start trying out different identities and putting on masks, you know, running around, uh, changing her face. I don't know if it's intentionally or not because he's trying to be ambiguous. I think he likes Melanie more. And by liking Melanie more, you are making a point, intentionally or not. Shall we talk about the art? We should. The art's really good. One thing, again, it's not a regular comic page. It's presented in a... Well, I've only read a digital... I've only read this digital only (laughs) comic. Digitally. (laughs) When I read it on my laptop, it's widescreen. Yes, it's presented in a widescreen format. 2048. They're intentionally not printing it, and I'm not sure why, because this could work as a print comic easily. I, I would I would really like to have it in print. I don't know. I'm, it would I'm, look like in the new X-Men annual. Or where it was why like not? We, we already had widescreen. You know, uh, Mouse Guard for years now is released in the widescreen format. Mm-hmm. Uh, 300 has been widescreen. You know, it's it's not common, but it's not new. There I is, think I think with panels and it's just yeah. a, it's an issue of of principle. Like, yeah, you know, it's a digital only format. Although Thrillbent sold out, so yeah. who knows what well, happened then? Uh, anyway, so it's designed for the computer screen in terms of being widescreen, but it's not guided view intended comic. Thank God, it's not a thank you, Jesus. Zot, I want this to be you know guided forever reading. infinite comics running on your screen thing. It's no, it's not it's experimental. Tra- the structure is traditional. Yeah. You know, but it's, it's like double page spreads one it, after the other. It's but gorgeous. That's yeah. It's, I think this is the sort of assignment that artists pray that they'll get because Vaughn is like, these masks that people wear don't have to be realistic. So some of them dress like retro superheroes and some of them wear tiger masks and some of them wear birds and fish and... Afro uh, masks. <laughs> that was that was one of those Vaughn fake outs. beat him white. Oh yeah, my God. That was one of those Vaughn fake outs. <laughs> I mean, that was, that was funny. And something that you can never do in live action. No. No. That would be awkward. So the art absolutely offers Martin every opportunity to be weird because it's a weird world. Yeah. And still make it believable. Yeah. You know, know, he set up his own rules for design and he sticks to them. Mm -hmm. The design of the dream coat, for example. Fantastic. And at the very end, like when I'm not gonna spoil what happened at the end, but the last panel of the book, it gives you this like chilling image. But because you know that it's a positive character, it's chilling on the one hand, but on the other hand it's like it's affirming. It's one of these designs which I'm shocked if we won't see in cosplays very soon. And the fact that it's not that I haven't seen it, you know, I don't think it's well known enough for cosplay yet. Give it time, you know? Yeah. Things, you know, because it's one of those things that you don't have to read the comics to just be, wow, that's amazing. Right. That's, that's a great look. Well, Panel Syndicate hasn't gotten a lot of attention from the mainstream comics press. My guess would be because it exists in opposition to the DC Marvel. The fact that it's running now, that Vaughn and Martin are coming back for another series soon, in the middle of Convergence and Secret Wars, and somebody recently did a tally. There's like 200 Secret Wars tie-ins or something like that. Yep. Ain't nobody got time for that. So the fact that 
they don't publicize themselves. I, I, I was about to say very well, but I think it's intentional. I think you, the media you, is avoiding them. Yeah. No, I don't think the media is avoiding them. I think they're avoiding the media, which is fitting enough for the private eye. <laughs> you, you know, because somebody like Frailband or Monkey Brain, you know, every once in a while they release some announcement, you know, we've signed this and this artist. We're right. now in contract with this and this. And panel syndicates like, okay, this series is ongoing. That's it. Ever since Private Eye launched and up until it finished, that was the whole Nobody thing. Nobody talked about it. They didn't big it up. It's like, in the next issue of Private Eye, you will be shocked. Like, yeah, the series is starting and then the series ended. That's it. Universe launched. That's it. They don't have to... There's no have, hype machine. Yeah, they don't. Well, the reason there's no hype machine is because this is all creator-owned material. Yeah. So there is no panel well, syndicate editorial boards. No, around. but, you know, creators can do, can be their own hype machine sure. very well. Image does that, you know, all the I time. Think, I don't think Vaughn was ever like that, though. I mean, it's been my experience, and again, like, take this from someone yeah. who sat through the 2000s and suffered through the online presence of many comic creators. But it's usually, you know, the people who talk the loudest usually have the least to show for it. Who's really good at hyping himself? Mark Miller. Mark Miller. Has he ever done anything that deserves a fifth of the praise that he heaps on himself? Not so much. Bendis used to run his forums... <laughs> or, if you want to go to the most extreme example, who runs his online forum like a cult? John Byrne. Well, what has John Byrne done? Well, like? Warren Ellis. Oh, what was that called? Ellis? Uh, the Engine. The Engine, yeah. Well, and you know. he always had, you know, one forum after another. And, you know, Grant Morrison, when he wants to big himself up, he can. Grant Morrison doesn't do it on a regular basis. He, do, he doesn't like do the, it through a blog or Twitter. He yeah, just, you because know, he doesn't feel like he has to. You know, so it's always when, Whenever he wants to announce, I'm like, like yeah. clicking his fingers, comics journalists to me, and they show up. He should like, be sitting on a chair. It's like, like to me, my <laughs> to the bat cave. No, no, like for Xavier, like to me, my journalist <laughs> man. I can totally see him doing that because he's bald. But yes. anyway, uh, <laughs> that's, that's appropriate in more than one way. Ed Brubaker never makes a big deal out of it, right? He's Matt, like, I'm going to do this thing. Matt Fraction does a big deal, and he's successful half of the time. Is he good though? Half of the time? Yeah. Half of the time. No, but that, that's what I'm saying. Like, the La, ones, like, the like, ones who talk the loudest are the ones who have the least to no, show for it. Fraction is like Milligan, you know, like, half the time he's very good and the other half, he's not good. Look at the people who are consistent, like yeah. Mark Wade. Yeah. Mark Wade, for example, he has done a lot of things for Boom and for Thrill Band, but he never just grabs every microphone he can find and, and like, I'm Mark Wade! I'm doing this amazing thing! Come see! Or Kurt Busiek. Oh, Do yeah. you ever, I mean, Kurt Busiek talks to people online, but he's never like, Kurt, let us have a press conference that discusses again, the wonderfulness I, I've of I've said me. it, I've said it once and I'll say it again. Kurt Busiek is the nicest man in comics. Yeah. And possibly in the world, but he has the also, patience of the saint. But he's also a talented, competent, skilled writer. Prove to me that Kurt Busiek is a good writer. Here's Astro City. Here, like, you know, you, you can point at all of these different books. Like, there's evidence that he's good. Mm. Mark Miller is like, this is the guy who wrote Chosen. I don't think that he should be standing around going like, you know, I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread. It's like, um, didn't you? You write, write you write as well as most sliced breads, Mark. Yeah. Okay. You, know, you but, have to about the relative IQ of one. And okay. so, no, but we are getting mean. No, 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 because because we're talking about like hype and using the internet as a tool for communication. And really, like when I think about it, panel syndicate. Again, like when you look at the news coverage. Websites, even websites that talk about webcomics, because there's sort of a trap here. 
when you talk about web comics, right? Mm-hmm. Something like something positive, order of the stick, Penny yet, Arcade, Penny Arcade, yet another. Well, Penny Arcade are really good at marketing, yeah. but something like yet another fantasy gamer comic or Skin Horse, the smaller projects that are identified with the specific creator. They do all of the work themselves, but they are also, when they get a claim, there's always sort of the implied acknowledgement that, so Shannon Garrity, for example, she did Narbonic, which is this amazing science fiction webcomic. Mm-hmm. When people promote her or talk about her or praise her, they're always like, you know, Shannon Garrity did this thing by herself. She wasn't known beforehand, and she's not going to be known afterwards, but her work speaks for itself. Brian Vaughn is like, hey, let's talk about the accomplishments of Brian Vaughn. You said it yourself, like you're skeptical of... This is a, an experimental webcomic model, but it's also Brian K. Vaughn, who is writing Saga. I mean, how can you not know what he's capable of or what he can do? So there's sort of the trap there where it's like the indie mainstream conflict, yeah. where Vaughn is a mainstream creator. He was on Lost. <laughs> I realize yes, that's not the are. shining recommendation, but like, Under you know, the Dome. No, he's done TV work. He, oh God, Under the Dome. That was him? He, he was part of it, I think. Brian, stay away from TV. It's not your best. Well, no, he needs the money so he can focus on his, you know, I guess. project. Oh, that's a good point. It's like Joe Casey's doing Ben 10, which is a terrible show. So, has it gotten terrible? It, I, I, I saw like the first I am season it's always been terrible. Ago. And it's gotten yeah. worse. Joe Casey did this. He created Ben 10. He created Generator Rex. Mm-hmm. Terrible animated shows. And... Because of that, he can do whatever he wants in comics. So because he has Ben 10... He can do sex. He can have sex. <laughs> I'm just... Okay. You, you just now you that it's it. clear... You said it. <laughs> now that it's clear... Yes. No, no, I mean, I, I accept that argument, absolutely. I just think that the reason the private eye might be in sort of this contested space is because it's an indie story. Like, if you didn't know that this was Brian Vaughn and you read it, you'd be like, that's a cool webcomic. But then you find out that it's Brian Vaughn and it's like... I don't think it's a cool webcomic because, again, the art is very unweb. And I know webcomic means... No, webcomic, web it, it's the medium. Yeah, it's know. the medium, but I never saw... It's not com- experimental. No, it's not just not experimental. It's, it's very... It's very mainstream influence, you know. And Mar- Marcus Martin, mm. you know, he worked on Spider-Man and Daredevil. He, yeah. is, he was great on them. Yes. And, it, and you can see this. It looks, for me, if you didn't tell me it was... Pedal Syndicate, I would say, well, that's an image comic, obviously. Mm. You know, it's a science fiction, semi-futuristic thing with Brian Vaughn and Marcus Martin. If it was on print, it would have been image. Yes, but I think that certainly the content would be appropriate yeah. for image. I think the format would uh, be problematic. I don't think the format would be problematic. Because... For all, you know, the experimentation You is... can move it around. I mean, look, when Order of the Stick had to publish yeah. The Fall of Azure City, so there's a scene in which you know, the main like character... falls and Or, fall or Nar- and... Narbonic had the same problem, by the way. Like, a character has a dream sequence that's meant to be reminiscent of Little Nemo in Slumberland. Mm-hmm. So it's a character who's literally, like, falling for... Yeah. Just scroll and scroll and scroll, and she's falling, and right before she hits the end, you have the next button. I wonder, they're printing XKCD... Webcam, so... Yeah, like they're that. printing XKCD right now. What will they do when they reach, you know, time or the one where you can focus on every single, you know, bit of image and it keeps entering itself or the one which is like 12 foot tall shot? XKCD has experimented with 
experimental storytelling, yeah. right? Absolutely. But not all webcomics do. No. Something Positive has been running for 10 years now. It's a slice of life drama, and it's always four yeah. panels. I mean, that's, that's what it is. Not every webcomic takes advantage of the digital medium. Yeah. And I don't think they have to. No, no, It's no. like saying, for example, like, not every comic is Promethea. 27, right? Thank, the, and thank God. And thank God for that. Obviously, we can always appreciate a webcomic that takes advantage of the, the infinite canvas, but you know, if they don't, the private eye is still a fantastic story. Yes. Like, it's still a superb comic, regardless of how it was produced or the circumstances behind it. And I strongly recommend it to anyone who enjoys anything. Anything, really. If you enjoy I mean, good stuff. Yeah. If you like, oh, quality. I know, I know a couple of people who don't like Brian K. Vaughan, but they have no joy in their souls, so we don't have to talk about them. <laughs> what the <laughs> is listening right now? I don't know. One of them is listening, and he's like, Rrr. "Yes, we're talking about you." Anyway, he he's such a solid storyteller, and I think if Panel Syndicate manages to maintain that level of quality, they could allow themselves to bring in lesser known creators. The trick is you want to start with something big. This is why, like the yeah. first comic that was on Thrillbend was Mark Wade, insufferable. About, it like, was the, the it, was, it was and didn't sufferable as far as I recall. No, it was actually pretty good. Maybe I'm the, oh, char- wait, no, the no, character no, was annoying. No, as no, no, I'm confusing with Irredeemable. Incro- yes, no, not that one. God, because no, Irredeemable. That was boom. Yes, that was boom. You know, it started it's, out it's well. Interesting. And then... it's, it's interesting that you keep on saying Mark Wade. Because before Panel Syndicate, he was the name no, that was most associated with this. For me, this. Brian K. Vaughn very much feels like images Mark Wade, even though he started, he did a lot of work in Marvel. There's a lot of very solid comic bookiness to them, which is they understand the serial format and the importance of writing in issue by issue basis. And the understand the difference between them would and be and the solid and the importance of you know never letting the high concept overtaking. The actual plot and writer, like you said, it's much more grounded. Well, you said it's better. I say grounded than something like The Surface, which is out there for its own sake. Mm-hmm. When you want to demonstrate that principle, compare Warren Ellis's Fantastic Four to Mark Wade's Fantastic Four. Warren Ellis did Ultimate Fantastic Four. That's Same difference. Count. Same difference. Yeah. No, but okay. because, like, when you want to do a science fiction story, Look at how the different writers approach it from different yes. directions, right? So I, I agree with you. I, I think Vaughn and Wade value individual characters as entry points into these worlds as opposed to someone like... Alice. See, I, no, I'm not going to say Alice Cote because with Alice Cote, the surface is an anomaly because Zero isn't like yeah. that. No, no, Zero like, is more like... No, Wade like Warren Ellis was much more interested in the world. Astonishing X-Men Xenogenesis. I have never read that. You ain't missing anything. Well, I liked Moon Knight, so... Okay, yeah, but Moon Knight wasn't science fiction in the same way, so... I I think, because it all connects together, right? Mm -hmm. It's... I mean, the the connection, for example, between Thrillbent and Panel Syndicate, and when you start off with a creator who is known, and who can bring his fans... You know, I have no doubt in my mind that readers of Saga came to the private eye. What else is Brian Vaughn doing? Let me get that thing. Yes. But then, if you went for that, and you stayed for Universe, so maybe the next time another series comes along, you start to... It doesn't really work that way. I mean, even like with Thrillbent, they had some other good series there, but not everything was on the level of Insufferable, or uh, James Tinian's The Eighth Seal, or, you know, Arcanum. It's closer to Monkey Brain, I think, in terms of quality control. Even Monkey Brain, like, Monkey Brain has some really good series, and some other series that are like... Yeah. Eh, 
Well, you can take him or leave him. Well, we only have two series right now. We'll see, you know, in Pendleton Academy. Right. It's, this, it's a this, good way to bring people in as this a starting point. could very much be Brian K. Vaughn's... Well, every year is Brian K. Vaughn's year. But, you know, <laughs> because he has two upcoming image series and Saga is still ongoing and this just yeah. finished. And he's, but he never had a problem with... I mean, we were concerned about Coat overexposing yeah. himself. But I remember, for example, before he made the jump to image and create her own work. So he was doing Mystique, Runaways... That at the same time. No, no, Mystique and Runaways, I'm almost certain okay. we're going at the same time. Then he did Ultimate X-Men, I think, while Runaways was ongoing, and Why the Last Man. And I know that there was something else at Marvel, more or less at the same time, I just don't he remember He was doing was. a Spider-Man meeting. Um, he was doing a Spider-Man meeting at the same time. I did think. he do Sentinel? No, no, no. That was... Who was that? That was someone else. That... Sean? No. No, you're Sean. I'm Sean. I'm pretty sure I didn't do Sentinel. I, I think it was Sean somebody who did. Right. No, but I remember that yeah. there was some, like, there was something no, else that he no, did. No, that was so part Bra- of the Tsunami Wave that's, uh, right. he didn't do Sentinel. I'm sure. No, but Vaughn has always been yeah. better at that sort of thing. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not concerned at all. Especially since, like, with Panel Syndicate, they have been on time, but if you were, for example, to say, well, instead of doing a monthly, we'll mm-hmm. do it two, every two months, I, I don't think it, people mind that much. I mean, in webcomics, you have delays are yeah. not unknown in the realm of webcomics. Wow, that was a long one. I really, really enjoyed this book. Yeah, yeah. All my reservations are just these. Reservation for something which I would call a superior book. Mm-hmm. And I'm so happy to finish an episode and all of the reviews for me were positive. Even in my case, yeah. uh, I will admit... That while I wouldn't recommend space writers, uh, the artwork is, yeah. you know, give them what they are due. Yeah. Absolutely. And did you notice that, like, in an episode where all of our reviews were positive, there were no scandals? I'm starting to wonder if maybe the quality of the books <laughs> fluctuates based on how many, how much trouble the creator Maybe our reading to. of the books, you know, if it's a bad week. No, if like, it's a bad book, it's it, a bad book. No, because if it's a bad week, we're like, oh god, not, well, comics are terrible, now I have to read some comics. <laughs> er, I'm so angry at comics culture. Grr, this page is annoying. God damn it, Convergence! Oh. Yeah. Uh, that was the Smorgasbord, and up until next time, I'm Tom Shapira. And I'm Sean Edry. And we'll see you. Bon appetit.